This afternoon, the North Central District of the United Methodist Church and the North Texas Conference will convene at Christ United Methodist Church. And across our annual conference, other districts will be convening as well, lay delegates and pastors alike, to hear about the business that is slated for annual conference coming up in 1st of June. On June the 2nd, we will... Your leadership here will be appearing in court in our ongoing struggles with uh, CCA and for what's right and just in that situation. The general conference has just completed after 10 days and has commissioned a study group that the bishops will be forming to study the issue of human sexuality and how the church should respond to it in our current days. Our church is in a great divide and they've found it impossible to go forward as we are and so in a first-time event, as far as anyone can remember, they've asked the bishops to intervene and to provide leadership, and we shall see what that is. At any rate, we all need wisdom. It's interesting that in the lectionary texts, the texts that have been picked out, the circulating scriptures that we read from time to time, that this morning's text, one of the texts coming from the Old Testament is Proverbs 8. And when you get to thinking about Proverbs 8 and its discussion of wisdom there, you realize how timely what we do as a church sometimes can fit into the very activities that are coming years and years later. And so it is today when I kept reading about this text, I kept not wanting to preach about it to tell you the truth. My sermon file in the book of Proverbs is pretty thin. It's not something I've endeavored in a lot, and yet I find myself growing more and more open to his teachings And that's not easy for us as we think about the book of Proverbs in our current days. In fact, if I ask you to define what a proverb is, you might think you know the definition, as I thought I knew a definition too. But when I got to reading about it, I discovered that really it's not a real obvious definition that really suffices for the meaning of what a proverb is and how a proverb is important to us in our journey of faith. It has such obvious meanings at times within the social context in which they were originally written that it seems sometimes simplistic. It seems like the the witness given from the book of Proverbs is so straightforward that sometimes in our age where we like to think about it and rudimate on it and contemplate it and make it a lot bigger subject, that here comes this proverbial statement that just say, blah, blah, blah. And when they do, they're just straightforward without much room to maneuver in. We don't get much room for our intellectual minds to kick in and be able to rationalize what the writer of the Proverbs is saying because he just says it right out, right in front of our face. And we don't obviously, obviously like that a lot in our world today. That's not the way we want to be treated, and that's not the way we like to act. They also use a phrase a lot, the fear of the Lord, and we don't like that statement either. The fear of the Lord bothers a lot of people in our day and age. We live in the good times. We live in the times where God is good and gracious Fear? Fear? We don't really like that kind of word in our vocabulary. It sounds negative, but is it? In short sentences of wisdom, Proverbs make many kinds of statements. Oftentimes they are shorthand for situations that recur often enough that people feel a need to have a name for them, to have a saying to address them. You know, you heard a lot of things said around your house growing up, especially if you hung around your grandmothers, especially if you were my age, because there were a lot more sayings, I think, back then than now. Now, not all of them rise to the level of being a proverb from Scripture, take it. But still, they were proverbial family sayings and things that were said and thought. 
It could also be said that a proverb is a saying that stimulates thought and provides insight. They are drawn usually from personal and collective memory and experience of the past. Even the children get that. You know, they know more because they're older. And indeed, we should know more as we grow older, right? And indeed, if we have been rooted in the Word, and the Word has been able to ruminate through all of our progress and the process of aging, then as we grow older, it will indeed make us more wise. But age alone and getting older in days is not a sure sign of wisdom. And sometimes even when we're searching for wisdom, it's very difficult to grasp it within pertinent situations where it can seem like proverbial sayings can even come into conflict with what we think or what we believe or what we know to be truth. So when we talk about the book of Proverbs, we're talking about something that's a little hard to use and perhaps we've not used it enough because of that. The scriptures constantly address the greatest issue for humankind. Now, there's no need of me telling you what that is. So you turn to your neighbor right now and just tell them what the greatest issue that the Scriptures address over and over again is for humankind. Just turn right now and share it with your neighbor and let them tell you what the greatest issue that the Scriptures address over and over and over again. Right now, your head should be turning to the side, left or right. They should not be looking at me. Left or right, and you should share... What is the greatest issue facing humankind that the Scripture addresses over and over and over again? Didn't take you long to do that, did it? You got right to it because it's simple. The Scripture is addressed constantly and continually through the voices and the words and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a simple issue. Will humankind choose to live inside the boundaries of God's ways Or will they choose to live outside the boundaries of God's ways? That is a simple boundary of life. That is a central key asset. You say, no, Doug, really the key asset is whether or not you will love Jesus. No, it's not. Because love implies obedience. You cannot talk about love the way most Americans talk about love and equate it to biblical love. It doesn't work. Because in the very saying of the words love in the scripture, obedience is always implied, always counted on, and always demanded when it comes from God. And you say, demanding God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're not messing with Papa here. You're not messing with grandmother. You're not messing with mom or dad. You're messing with the almighty one. You're messing with the one who lays down the foundations. It's the first thing that we strive to teach disciple Bible study students when they they study the scriptures. At least it's the first thing I try to teach them. You say, why? Because everything else depends on that, period. It is the scriptures that command us and call us through the Holy Spirit to love Jesus. It is the scriptures that teaches us the mind of God and the heart of God. So often I hear people say, well, I believe God thinks that. I I say, well, why do you believe God thinks that? And they'll say, well, because I just believe it. I say, well, you're just wrong. And I'm here to tell you that. They say, well, how do you know that? I say, because the scriptures are diametrically opposed to what you just said. You see, we, we conceive of God in our own minds, and therefore we become God. We do it as denominations. We do it as church bodies. We do it as families. We do it as individuals. 
We love to make ourselves God. Ask Adam and Eve when you talk to them next. It is our expression of choosing the foolish way as opposed to what the Scripture says, the way of wisdom. The foolish way is listen to the voice of wisdom, the voice of folly, when the presence and the Word of God is ringing in your head. Proverbs constantly contrast the ways of the world and the foolishness of the world's wisdom with the ways of God. And we as human beings are constantly being pressured to accept one or the other. And you say, well, I don't feel any pressure. What does that mean? You're the walking dead? You might get a spot in the new show. Because you see, you can't escape the pressures and the voice of foolishness in this world. If you say, well, you don't really, don't really see that, well, then you're not listening. Or perhaps your consciousness and your mind have not been trained by the Scriptures enough to separate the voice in your head the voice of God, and the voice of your culture. Many people want to believe what is right and then tell God what that is. (laughs) Can you imagine the rejection pile at God's throne? All the requests that come to God, he just goes, reject, 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 reject. Why? Because they're contrary to what God has planned for us. And God has planned, by the way, the best things for us. But if we don't grab hold of that wisdom in the Scriptures and claim it for ourselves, we miss out on that. And that's one of the things that the Proverbs also says over and over again. But let's suffice to think about wisdom today in two particular ways. First of all, there's a cry of wisdom that is reaching out to us. And second of all, I'm going to address the call of wisdom that cries out from within us. First... The cry of wisdom reaching out to us. It's made clear in these first verses of this psalm. And it does it by personifying the idea of wisdom. It does it by commenting that wisdom was with God before the foundations of the world. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? Question mark. On top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate at the opening of the city. In their world, in the most prominent places where everybody came, wisdom is crying out for people to hear his voice. God is crying out to us constantly to pour into us wisdom. Oftentimes, it's it's like this. Don't do that. When you're young, that voice is, is just screaming at you, right? Don't do that. If you do that, it's going to be bad for you. And we go, oh, be quiet. I want to do this. It looks like fun. Everybody else is doing that. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I don't want to be odd. I want to fit in. Go away, please, God. I'll talk to you tomorrow after tonight's over. And God cries out screams at you, fool, don't do it. Your head and your body are at war with me. And you're the only one who can give your body and your life victory by listening to my voice instead of the voice of the fool. If only we grew out of that as teenagers. We don't, do we? We get old and we still want to argue with God. We still want to tell God what's right for our world and what's best. 
people get so insist about something that they're so sure about. And then you ask them, well, where is that in the scriptures? They may say, well, scriptures, what scriptures? It's just a book. Well, then you know that you're speaking to a fool. Now, I don't mean a fool in a negative sense. I mean you're speaking to a fool as one who does not have knowledge, as to one who does not understand scripture, as one who does not understand God. I'm not saying that person is an ugly person or, or a foolish and we should make fun of them. I'm saying that person lacks knowledge of the creator of the world, lacks knowledge of the Savior of the world, lacks knowledge of the Holy Spirit that has been given to the world to nurture life inside us. I'm telling you that many times people speak in contradictory to exactly what God wants for his people. And we struggle sometimes to discern the difference between the cry of the fool wooing us that way, the common way, the broad way, and the narrow way that says simply follow me. Follow me. With God, there's really one choice. You follow me or you're following the foolish ways. We were like to make a lot of choices, really the same choice over and over again. We just don't always have the ability to bring content to it. We don't expect our three, four, five, six-year-olds that are down at the children's sermon to be as smart as our teenagers We don't expect our teenagers to be as smart as their college friends that they used to know who've gone off to college. We don't expect our young adults to be as wise as their parents. We don't expect our parents to be as wise as their grandparents. But sometimes those lines get blurred, don't they? What if you're a teenage Christian who's trying to follow the ways of God and your parents or your grandparents, neither one, are believers, which is happening all around our world now? How do they discern the voice of wisdom from God when what they're hearing over and over again is the voice of their individual lives, of people they love and care about? How do they discern between those two and still love them? It's hard, right? It's hard. Anybody that thinks it's easy is only fooling themselves. But suffice it to say that the voice of wisdom is constantly calling out to us if we will but listen in prayer and understand through the study of the scriptures, then God can impart wisdom to us. Now let's move to the next part. But before I do, let's have this word from Proverbs 1, verse 7. It's a good word. It's a clear word. It's word and word that we don't have to struggle with in order to understand it. Now, we may not like it, but here it comes anyway, okay? If you're a little timid this morning, feeling a little queasy, grab your seat. Here it comes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You say, well, I don't really fear God. Well, then you're a fool. And you say, well, I don't like being called a fool. Good. Don't be foolish then. Don't equate yourself and your opinions with those of God because I got news for you. I don't have to know you very long to be clear that you're not God, right? You don't, have to be, you don't have to know me very long to be clear I'm not God either. You can even ask Sally. She knows two or three things, you know, along the way. Yes, someday she'll preach her sermon. I'll be gone that day. I'll be on vacation. Fear means respect. Fear means honor. Fear means to hold God in such a position in your life that you would not dare contradict the one who is God. 
That is why children naturally respect adults who take a commanding place in their life and speak truth into their lives like I did for three of the boys before worship began. I think I see a couple of you scattered around out there. The church, church halls, I said, are not a place to be running full bore in, in and out people. You're going to make somebody fall. And they looked at me, didn't they? They got quiet, and I said, are you listening? You get it? Stop it. I'm in it. You say, well, that might have been my grandchild. I don't care whose child it was. Could have been my grandchild. He's already asleep. So at least he's not running now. Yes, it's natural for them to want to run and play in a big wide open building like our big fine halls. They're not worried about tripping and falling because they'd bounce back up. I wouldn't. What is a cry that we need to be paying attention to? As difficult as it is in our world where we are addicted to the idea of feeling good, that fear and respect and authority are good and helpful words to our lives. They're important words. Now, if we hear the cry of wisdom from inside us, how do we hear it? I think we hear it mainly in two, two reasons. First reason is that the inner call in us comes out of desire. This is a really healthy way to gain wisdom. Inside us, we want to know. I would love right now to get clear answers for about four or five questions. If God would just slice out a piece of pie of his time and say, okay, Doug, here I am. Ask away. Boy, have I got a short list that I'd like for him to just tell me the straight out answer. Because groups of us have been struggling with some of those issues for a while. And they're not always as clear as we'd like them to be. But we have a desire to know what God wants us to do. We have a desire to understand the mind of God and the heart of God. We recognize in our fallenness that our desires are not always in tune with the boundaries that God has set up for humankind that are good for us that are helpful to us, that bring us the very things that folly is tempting us to achieve them through. If you make a foolish choice, they tell you you will be rich. And you may be temporarily, but what the Scriptures clearly point out in this passage of Scripture is they do a wordplay, they intertwine one of the Hebrew words that means, uh, uh, I lost the word. What do they mean, Doug? Find the word. Right there it is, I think. It has to do with being wealthy. It has to do with having a life that is blessed materially. That same word is also translated in the text back and forth as righteousness. That's why righteousness and wisdom is worth more than gold. You can be foolish and get gold. You can follow unwise counsel and profit from it financially. But that profit you get from that will be temporary. It can never measure up to the wisdom of following God's ways and doing what is right. When you do that, you have a wealth that continues for in eternity. And by the way, even as you do that, you will be blessed, yes, physically in this world. I believe that. I believe it's a good general statement. Is it always true in every instance? No, it's not. But generally, I believe it is true. 
But the people who seek to follow God's ways and follow God's ways too are generally blessed more in this world than some others. And you say, do you know those so-and-so? I know that rich rascal is terrible. I didn't say every time it's true. Wisdom does not always hold true individually in the scriptures, but it's still an ideal we seek for. But generally and certainly in the end, it will hold true. How do you know? When I die and go to heaven and you die and go to heaven, ask me when we get there. How do I know that that rich old fool's not here? And I say, go start looking for him. You've got eternity. In the end, it'll all get worked out. Don't worry about judging people who are living wrong down here. God will handle that eventually. But the righteousness you get from following God lasts forever. That's the righteousness we seek from an inner desire that's crying out. There's another kind of righteousness we seek, right? Another kind of wisdom we seek. It's out of our need. When we're down on our stomachs, lying in the dirt, choking on the earth in the dust of life. When we're dying physically and emotionally, spiritually, for a breath of God's air. We cry out in fear, needing the wisdom of God to deliver us. It's a desperate time, and it's then that we often seek wisdom. The next question we ask is clear, right? How is this cry satisfied? How do we take care of this cry for wisdom? Well, first of all, remember, wisdom is not simply what we think. It's not always what we want physically, emotionally. It's not always what other people think or what other people tell us. It's also often not the wisdom of the world, though sometimes it is. There's a partial kind of wisdom that's true throughout cultures everywhere that can be shared. Hard work pays off. That's true in any society. That's true for the evil and for those who follow God. It's true for all of us. There's a kind of wisdom that can be attained to that is kind of universal. And yet, that partial wisdom is not the complete wisdom and the full truth that the Scripture is talking about. It can be found simply and completely at its source, who is God. God the Creator, Jesus the Savior, and the Holy Spirit who is the provider and the sustainer of our lives. And the best way and the clearest way to understand the Trinity is to know the Scriptures. That is God's chosen way to reveal himself to us. And you say, but yeah, but Doug, did you know the Methodist church is about to split up because they don't agree on understanding scriptures? Yes, I do know that that's a topic of conversation. I'm going to fix that next week. I'm going to preach about how to interpret scripture. So don't go off on your holiday weekend, or if you do when you get back, pull it up on the podcast. Because you're right. Our annual conference and our church is struggling with what is wisdom and how to handle the sexual understandings and mores of our society today. And I hope that when they get through, they're able to say this. All Scripture is inspired by God, Paul writes to Timothy. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. General Conference could not decide. Now, we've been working on one issue for 30 years. We're a little slow. We've been studying these issues and around this issue of human sexuality over and over and over again. The very unity of the United Methodist Church is at stake, no doubt about it. 
So what did they do? They did what they often do. We're great at this. We're the best in the world at this. We voted to table it and form a commission to study it for about the 20th time. This time, though, the bishops are going to appoint it. So the bishops are going to appoint it. Good. And when they get through, as the, if they strive to achieve the letter that they sent out to the general conference and to the church, they're going to seek to keep the people of the United Methodist Church unified. For years now, the United Methodist Church has been known for a denomination where people with deeply held but different beliefs can work together and call each other brother and sister in Christ. It's a noble, a noble goal and one I've strived for all my life. I found it to be profitable to me. But I've also found it to be profitable for myself that I believe alongside the word unity has to always be the word faithfulness. I cannot be unified in a complete sense with those who handle Scripture entirely different than I can. I cannot be completely unified with people who are going to pattern their lives after ways that I think that the Scriptures explicitly says are harmful. I want to. I want the issue to go away, and I want everybody to be happy. It's not going to end that way because there's different ways of handling Scripture. And when people handle Scripture so diametrically in different ways, it's very hard for them ever to agree about what is wisdom from God. I guess you say or thinking, well, the preacher sounds like this thing's over. Oh, I don't know that. We Methodists, we're great at putting things off. I believe that the scriptures are the mind and heart of God as much as we're ever going to receive it. I believe that correctly interpreted, they reveal the boundaries that are healthy for humankind. I believe that though we may be in conflict with some things that are not essential, there are certain things in the scripture that are essential. And they pertain to every area of our lives. And so I'm going to pray for the bishops as they appoint appoint that council, that commission, and I'm going to pray for that commission that they somehow find a magic way to express, to express these two diametrically opposed ideas without trying to make Scripture conform to our lives rather than us conform to Scripture. That I cannot do. I can be graceful. But I cannot give up what I think scriptures say. To do so would be turning away from God. I do enough of that unintentionally. I'm not going to personally do it intentionally. And I pray that everybody who searches the scriptures will seek in their quest a way to find unity that is expressed in the scriptures that also expresses the true heart and mind of God, whatever that may be. And then I'll pray that for us people called Methodists, us people called United Methodists, that we may be able to discern where God is calling us. So next week, we're going to talk about the Scriptures and how to interpret them, how to use them, how to study them. 
I'm going to talk about what a fool we are when we do it otherwise. It'll be divinely inspired. If you do exactly what I tell you, your life will be perfect. <laughs> now we'll have a crowd next week, right? If the preachers can't agree, the bishops can't agree, theologians can't agree, how are we ever going to agree? We're not. But we can agree on certain parameters of how to use the book and how to talk about how the book can use us if we submit ourselves to the wisdom of God. Gracious God, I know you love these people. I trust them in your hands. Care for them in these days and the days to come. Be with the people called Methodists that we might be wise, that we might remain unified if it's possible while we are also remain faithful to you and to your calling. Bless your church worldwide for the expressions in Africa and the boundless numbers who are coming to faith there and in other places on a much smaller scale but an important scale like Cambodia. We praise you and we thank you that Chil's faithfulness and Emory's hard work and faithfulness are resulting with the support of this congregation in establishing a seventh group of believers in that place. God, we give you thanks and praise. Help us, Lord, not let that work go to waste. Help us, Lord, discern how to enlarge that vision there so that the people there can begin to teach each other. Help us, Lord, help Chiv to help them to be your church in that place. Be with all our people, Lord, scattered around in universities and college campuses and communities everywhere who got their seed growth of faith in this place, who learned wisdom here, and who have gone out into the world to share it. We bless them, and we thank you for them, and we ask for your divine, divine hand to be upon them as they continue to minister. Give us wisdom, Lord, for all that we face. Call us to faithfulness that is expressed from the wisdom of God, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, it's a good place to find him right here. If you're wandering around wondering where you can serve, where is a church group of people that will love you and share life with you, you found it. Come forward as we stand and sing, and we'll share our faith and life with you as we sing this closing song.